I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hi, it's Claire. Money Clinic is taking a break for the next couple of weeks while we record some fresh episodes, but I've been catching up with some of our previous podcast guests to find out what happened next on their financial journey. Last autumn, I spoke to US listener Josh, who was hiding thousands of dollars in credit card debts from his wife. Under lockdown, he'd managed to save up enough money to pay them off, but she wanted to use this money for a deposit on their first home. Keep listening to hear what our experts on credit card debt and mortgage lending had to say. And at the end of the episode, we'll be getting a full update from Josh. Did he pay down the debt and cut up his cards? Keep listening to find out what happened next and what you can learn from his story. One of the financial side effects of COVID-19 is how it's changed our relationship with credit cards. Before the pandemic, the amount of money consumers owed had exceeded levels recorded before the financial crisis. Plenty of people were happy to grab a low interest deal and spend freely on plastic. In the last year, we travelled seven different international cities. And I have always dreamt of all that, you know, having plenty of money to do the things I like. Meet Josh. He's in his early 30s and emigrated to the US from Australia with his wife 10 years ago. He earns good money, rents a smart apartment and works in the finance industry. Yet over the years, has racked up thousands of dollars on his three credit cards. In my three cards, one is empty and the other two have 27,000. 27,000 US dollars. Australian. Australian. Okay, so roughly speaking about 20,000 US dollars? Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. Does your wife know how much you owe on your credit cards? She has an idea, uh, not the whole thing, but she definitely has an idea. Before COVID, high-earning Josh wasn't troubled by the size of his credit card bills. With a low interest deal, he figured he would pay them back at some point. But lockdown has shone a spotlight on his spending habits. Unable to spend as they used to, impressively, the couple have managed to save 27,000 US dollars. Over the last five months, we all have been in lockdown and I've accumulated some savings with my wife. And one of the key things is that she wants to buy a house and start to plan the family and stuff. I think she's saying the right thing. But at the same time, what about the debt? Josh is not alone in worrying about his debt levels. The economic uncertainty caused by the pandemic 
has nudged consumers everywhere to repay record amounts of credit card debt this year as they worry about what the future may hold. So here's Josh's dilemma. Should the couple use their $27,000 of savings to wipe out their credit card debts? Or, as his wife suggests, should the couple try and buy a property? Welcome to Money Clinic, the weekly podcast from the Financial Times dedicated to tackling real-life financial issues. I'm Claire Barrett, the FT's Consumer Editor. At a time when the coronavirus has thrown everybody's finances into sharp focus, we hope to help you make the most of your money by listening to what my team of experts and I make of listeners' dilemmas. But back to Josh's situation. I wanted to find out how he had run up these credit card debts in the first place. He told me that he first started using credit cards when he was a university student in Australia, living away from home for the first time. The first credit card I got, I think it was only $1,000 from Commonwealth Bank of Australia. And then I received an offer from them to increase the limit because I was using the money and I was paying it every month. And this went on. So then I applied another credit card. Throughout his life, Josh has carried on using credit cards, borrowing money, then paying it back, then borrowing more. He's used them to cover unexpected expenses like car repairs and hospital bills. They paid for his honeymoon and the couple's other big weakness, holidays and travel. So even if I, over the years, you could have said, how many times have you paid off the debt? I would say, you know, maybe five or six times I've paid off full, but then I end up using it again because we don't have money for a rainy day. Josh's saving grace is that because he works in finance, he usually gets a bonus. How did you spend your bonus? I ended up putting the money towards my credit card debt and paid all of it off. Paid off all my credit cards. Because Josh earns a good salary, the credit card companies are happy to lend to him. Across his three cards, he owes US dollars but his total available credit limit is nearly twice that. Up until now, he's been able to manage servicing this level of debt, but using credit cards to spend more than you earn is a risky cycle to get stuck in. One of the reasons Josh has so many credit cards is because he's taken advantage of 0% transfer deals to shift his debts around, paying a one-off fee to buy himself some interest-free breathing space from the repayments. I kept doing the balance transfer. So one of the key things I do in my financial planning is Since I was not able to pay off the credit cards, I keep opening new credit cards, balance transferring, and then closing the previous ones. By now, I was beginning to get a good understanding of Josh's spending habits. In the last year, we traveled seven different international cities. And I have always dreamt of all that, you know, having plenty of money to do the things I like. But working from home during the pandemic has made it impossible for this jet-setting couple to spend money as they usually do. Over the last five months, we all have been in lockdown and I've accumulated some savings with my wife. And one of the key things is that she wants to buy a house and start to plan the family and stuff. I think she's saying the right thing. But at the same time, what about the debt? And that's a hard balance to find. Lockdown has enabled Josh and his wife to do what they've never been able to manage before, save up money. But now they've saved it, they want to spend it. And not on paying down the credit card debt, but on a housing deposit. 
In the past few weeks, Josh has been speaking to mortgage brokers in the States, and despite his credit card debts, his salary and his good credit record mean that some would be prepared to advance him a home loan. He's keen to take advantage of this in case the real estate market takes a turn for the worse. So eventually we can crack the market, we can buy a house, and I think this is the time we can break in. But with $20,000 of debt, does he really think that borrowing more money to buy a property would be a sensible move? You guessed it, he does. And here's why. Because one of the key aspects of buying a house, I feel, is I'm, I'm really committed to some things. For one example would be rent, electricity, water, gas, which we all are, right? Collecting money on my retirement fund. I won't see that money till the age of 65 and I keep doing that. So I think maybe if we crack into the market and buy a house, my perspective is that I might be more better off in terms of money and stopping those lavish holidays. I can understand that Josh is feeling under pressure to buy a house right now. But taking on a mortgage means he and his wife would be getting into significant debt together. As we chatted, it became more and more apparent that they don't actually know that much about the true state of each other's finances. Does your wife know how much you owe on your credit cards? She has an idea, uh, not the whole thing, but she definitely has an idea. And if she did know that it was as much as it is, what, what do you think she would say? I, I, I reckon she would be cranky, but at the same time, the response is always, this was what you accumulated before you met me, you know, and and I, I totally agree. I should not be bothering other people with my debt. So what's your main question regarding your finances that you want me and our podcast experts to answer for you? So I think one of the main questions is how should, you know, I find the discipline and the courage to close the credit cards for good? As you know, I've relied on them as a backup fund for a rainy day or for the reason, you know, I've used it too many times and never been able to pay the whole balance, you know. How can I just disconnect that? The second question is what steps can I take today to better my financial situation in the near future? Buying a home versus paying off credit card or paying off credit card versus having a holiday. I find it hard to find the balance because from my perspective, everything has to be equal. You know, you cannot and and life is too short. I don't want to regret, right? The first expert I consulted was Robert Armstrong, the FT's US finance editor. Based in New York, he's got his finger on the pulse of the financial markets but also the real estate market. So, Rob, how are you finding being a homeowner? Well, Claire, I've been a real genius. I bought a house in New York City just before the COVID-19 crisis, at which point there was a massive thundering herd of people moving to the suburbs. And it's not clear at all what is going to happen to house prices in my neighborhood or in New York City in general. So I am living proof for Josh that if he goes down the route of buying a house and taking on a mortgage, he better not count on house price appreciation because it's not a given. The real estate market is shifting, but so, says Rob, are consumer credit markets, and that could spell trouble ahead for Josh. 
Obviously, they're very eager to lend to him because he's been a great customer over the years and he's paid yes. them thousands of dollars in interest. He, he's the dream customer, someone who rotates his balance heavily, meaning keeps a high balance, pays interest, but ultimately pays back. He is what credit card executives lie in their beds at night dreaming of. But the situation is changing during the pandemic, and not just in the US, but in the UK as well. Terms are tightening up. The Federal Reserve does regular surveys of bankers and asks them, are you tightening or loosening credit conditions? Mm -hmm. And there's been a very sharp trend towards tightening here in the United States. So Josh, I know, has talked about how easy it's been for him to switch between credit cards with 0% offers, which gives him a kind of window where he pays no interest. I think he should expect those kind of offers to become more scarce. Nevertheless, Josh earns good money and has a great credit score. So for now, some mortgage lenders would be prepared to advance him a loan. Whatever rates do in the future, the rates are extraordinarily low right Unnaturally now. low. Unnaturally low. So if you have the wherewithal to get it done, this is clearly a good time to get a mortgage. And Josh's instincts in that department are exactly right. It's worth thinking about, <laughs> even if you do have credit card debt. Josh thinks that buying a house would encourage him to be disciplined with his finances. And Rob can see the logic in that. A mortgage is a great forced savings product. You have to pay it every month or there's awful consequences. So it gives you no choice but to be putting money to one side. And you can increase that effect and, as it were, hack your own psychology by making a supplemental payment or paying a little bit more than the terms of your mortgage requires. And that, as it turns out, compounds very quickly in terms of shortening the duration of your mortgage and increasing the amount of equity you're putting away every month. And you soon forget that you're making an extra payment. Rob is spot on here. It's true that making a small but regular overpayment will burn through the interest charges that are compounding in the lender's favour and potentially knock years off your mortgage. I've played around on a mortgage repayment calculator online to see what somebody could save based on today's interest rates. Let's assume you've borrowed half a million dollars on a 25-year term. Making an extra mortgage repayment every year, the 13th month, if you like, means you'd be mortgage-free two and a half years earlier and you'd save nearly $20,000 in interest charges. But back to Josh and his immediate conundrum. Should he use his savings to pay down the cards or put them down as a house deposit? So if Josh was one of your guy friends and you were chatting on the phone or in a bar, COVID permitting, talking about this problem, what would your instinct be? $27,000 is not a ton of money as a down payment on a house, mm. depending very much, of course, on where he lives, what kind of neighborhood, what kind of house he wants to buy. So if he pays off his 20000 in card, it's now down to seven, and it's really not a down payment. So he has to make a choice here. And it would seem to me 
that while he risks rates being a bit higher in a year's time, say, it might make sense for him to spend a year paying down the credit card debt, trying to to maintain as much savings as possible while doing that. And as a bonus, he can use those 12 months as a period in which he tries to talk openly about money with his wife, which I think you and I, Claire, both agree is the absolute uh, centerpiece of any successful plan for this young couple going forward. Well said, Rob. Heading back over to this side of the Atlantic, our second expert is Sarah Williams, who runs the Debt Camel blog and website. She's been a debt advisor for 15 years. Having heard Josh's story, Sarah is adamant that the couple must talk openly about money together. One of the things Josh said was, my partner thinks this was just debt I ran up before I met her and therefore it's my business, not hers. Mm. And that that's very understandable that, particularly in the early stages of a relationship, but after you've been married 10 years and you're talking about buying a house and having a family, there really isn't a his and hers debt anymore. These two of them need to be in it together. And until they are actually talking about what they want to spend money on as a couple, they're not going to be able to make the sensible choices. They're not going to be able to say, we're going to spend less on a holiday this year, or we're not going on holiday this year. This is the year we're buying a house. Now, how would you advise him to start this conversation? There's people going to be listening to this podcast thinking, yeah, that's my situation. But how do we start these, these conversations? I guess I'm an optimist here because a surprising number of people will come back and say, well, I had the difficult conversation with my partner and they knew there was something wrong and they were worried I was going to leave them or something. And they were really quite pleased it was just money. (laughs) (laughs) This is quite a common reaction. And, you know, if she wants a family and she wants a house, they've saved up this huge amount of money in the last four or five months. They're going to be fine providing they just start talking to each other. Josh also needs to think about credit cards in a very different way, something we could all benefit from. I think it's a big pity that credit cards are called credit cards because credit sounds so nice, like it's something good. If they were called debt cards, I think people would think twice about spending and accumulating quite as large a balances on them as they do when they're called nice, friendly credit cards. So think of this as being a debt and not to your credit at all. I was keen to ask Sarah what she made of Josh's love-hate relationship with his credit cards. Sorry, debt cards. On the one hand, they've been a lifeline for him, especially as a young man growing up in Australia. But he's also become horribly dependent on them. It does sound like that, doesn't it? A lot of what he was saying was sort of contradictory. He felt he needs these as a big backup. Who else is going to help him if he doesn't have these? He's obviously earning good money and he can save because that's what he and his wife have done during this lockdown period. Mm. For people who have been freely spending money and putting it on the plastic, it all comes down in the end to having a budget for what you actually want to spend money on. 
So one of the big American debt gurus, David Ramsey, says a budget is a means of telling your money where you want it to go rather than your money just disappearing without having any idea where it's going. And part of that budget for most people should be an emergency fund. So you don't need to reach for the credit card when you've got an unexpected expense. The emergency fund in the bank can give him just as much feeling of security as a credit card with a big limit. When I next caught up with Josh, he listened to what our experts Sarah and Rob had to say. Clearly, we all felt very strongly that before he did anything else, Josh must talk to his wife and come clean about how much money he owes on the credit cards. I asked him if this was something he was willing to do. So uh, we did have a therapy session uh, last week about this topic. and Wow. We, so we have taken a step in the right direction and I have put everything on the table clean and clear. Did she not know about it before? She did know about it. I, I just think the transparency was always there. The person didn't want to, you know, put their head into it. So I think we are getting there. We are getting on the same page also, we did agree on having more sessions to get clarity on how we should go about it since we're buying a house and, you know, um, we have to pay off the debt. Well, I think that's fantastic. I mean, just overall, Josh, give me your thoughts on this whole experience and how it's helped you to get things straight in your head. That's a lot of education, I felt, but really good tips. Also, I think it might not make you know sense from a personal standpoint, but some of it does make sense. One is, you know, thinking of a credit card as a debt card and just get rid of it. So when it comes to paying off the cards or using their $27,000 in savings as a housing deposit, what are the couple going to do? So Rob did say that he can spend a year paying off the credit card debt yep. and save at the same time and then have that 20% down payment to buy a house. But I believe in doing things right now. So if I have the money right now and we can secure a mortgage, that money is gone. You know, I'm not going to see it. So I, I feel more secure that way. In the six months since we recorded that episode, I've often wondered what Josh and his wife would choose to do next. Despite his debts, he was so determined to buy a property, hoping that the discipline of having a mortgage to pay would force him to keep his credit card spending in check. So how did he get on? Whatever they decided, I also wondered whether the couple were still making an effort to talk through their money issues together. So, Josh, how's it going? Beautiful. Uh, I've been good. Thanks for asking. Great. So tell me what's been happening. Are you any closer to buying a home with your wife? So, uh, Claire, we closed on our first home together on the 7th of January. Goodness me. So, I mean, you don't muck around. <laughs> that is correct. I don't muck around. If I have something in my mind, I make my moves pretty fast. It did take four months to close on the house because of the historically low interest rates, as Rob was saying. And we got the cheapest rates in the market. So we have finally moved in. Obviously, we spoke a lot the last time about the temptation of using these 0% interest cards to spend money on 
are you feeling like you're in control of your credit card debts? So, uh, Claire, I've not been able to pay off any of the previous credit cards with the amount I had saved up because that was used towards the mortgage. Mm -hmm. But what I've been able to do is I've been able to talk to the banks and get myself on a plan to pay them off in the next 12 months. Okay, so over the next year, you've got quite a challenge ahead because obviously you've got this target of paying down all of the debt that you owe on your credit cards. But as the economy starts to open up again, then obviously the temptation to spend money will be back. So if we did not have the house, I would say, okay, you know what, let's go to this restaurant, let's go for a holiday. Mm. But all that has gone out the window now. And we just want to spend on the house and uh, whatever money is left over, either pay off the debt or just save it for a rainy day. Uh, I and my wife, we have done multiple therapy sessions and we basically decided that, hey, this is what we earn. This is how much you want to spend on your own and how much I should be receiving. And then we can pay it off. So we are trying to tackle it together now. Excellent. And Josh, how would you say that your relationship with money is now? Being really transparent about what we can afford and what we can't, that clarity is there now. I'm just trying to be disciplined. You know, even the furniture and stuff which we bought on the interest rate card, we have all intention of paying it off within six months. Mm -hmm. And I say it out loud, it's inscribed on all the walls of my new house, be that free. (laughs) Oh, that's great. And when the time comes when you have paid off the last payment on your credit cards, what are you going to do with the cards? What I've decided, Claire, is I am going to leave the cards open. And the only reason I say it is because if I'm moving to another country again, those cards will be required, not just for the move, just for an emergency, right? Just because, you know, I can't rely on anybody else. So for people listening to the podcast who are experiencing their own problems with credit card debts, what would your advice be to them? I would say there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Obviously, for me, it took 12 years. But seeking the support you need and having therapy, if that helps, and being transparent with everyone, whether it's your family or, you know, cousin, about the fact that, hey, this is what the problem is. If I would have been transparent 12 years ago, I might not have accumulated huge amount of debt Mm -hmm. because we always think that people don't understand and that's a huge understatement. I think everybody understands once you speak up and be clear about what is going on in your life. That's it from Money Clinic with me, Claire Barrett, for this week and we hope you like what you've heard. If you'd like to chat with me on a future episode of the show and get some expert thoughts on a money issue that's bugging you, then email me. Our address is money at ft.com. Want to read more? Check out the show notes for links to articles I've written on these topics. Take a peek at our website, ft.com money, grab a copy of the FT Weekend newspaper or follow us on Twitter at FT Money. Money Clinic was produced in London by Josh de la Mare. Our sound engineer is Breen Turner and our editor is Amy Keane. And the original music is by Metaphor Music.
And finally, just so you know, the Money Clinic podcast is a general discussion around financial topics and does not constitute an investment recommendation or individual financial advice. For that, you'll need to find an independent financial advisor. That's the small print over and done with. See you back here next week. Goodbye. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide.